Hello and welcome back to Scarves Around the Funnel, the podcast dedicated to Heart and Midlothian Football Club, championship leaders and back to winning ways, hopefully to stay as well. I am Laurie Dunsire, joined once again by Mark Donaldson. Greetings, I enjoyed that game at the weekend, mm. it's always nice Nice going into a podcast when there's a bit more enthusiasm rather than a defeat, of course. That's part and parcel of it all. But no, I'm, I'm feeling better this week with the cup final not too far away and the way that Celtic are, are imploding right now. Um, yeah, good time to be a jambo right now. It is. What a difference a week makes. And of course, by this time next week, we could be right back down again. But let's hope that's not the case. We will discuss the defeat. Uh, sorry, the I was going to say we'll discuss the defeat against Alawa, but we might touch on that briefly whilst we're talking about the win against Morton. Of course, we didn't really have a chance to talk about too much of the recent games last week when we had our guest on the show. Um, so we'll review the games. Uh, we're going to have a little chat about the cup final. Not a full review at this point yet because we do still have the game against Queen of the South to come. Um, so we'll preview the game against the Dunhamers as well. Okay, so let's start with Heart of Midlothian's trip to Greenock to play Morton. Uh, first time since the late 80s that they faced Greenock Morton in a competitive match. And it's, it's one of these, Mark, before we get into stuff about the team and the game, that I know I'd, I'd been looking forward to it this season Obviously, I was hoping it'd be a, a game that'd be fans, and it was a proper trip. But I think a lot of people were hoping to get there to to tick it off the list because, um, from a competitive point of view, certainly a lot of Hearts fans, but certainly a generation of Hearts fans at least, won't have had to go and see Hearts play Morton. No, I, I've seen them at Capital. I've seen Hearts against Morton at Capital, but in a friendly. I can't remember if I was there in 88 for the last competitive time we played it. In fact, it was a friend of mine, Ian Lenny from Pennycook. 87 last time we were there, but yeah, we played them competitively in the, yes, the Tynecastle yes, in 88, yeah. Correct, yeah, sorry. 80, Boxing Day 87 was the last time we were there, and I can't remember if I was there. I'm not sure. But a friend of mine, Ian Lenny from Pennycook, messaged me. He goes, remember when we went to Capolo? I was like, hmm. He goes, me, you, and your mum, we went to a friendly in 1991. It was the first game of, of that season for Hearts, a pre-season friendly. Um, and John Sharples played. Um, that was when uh, the opposition included a 20-year-old Derek McInnes. And that was, the, that was the last time I was there. So I've never worked a game there. Um, and unfortunately, there were no fans in attendance. But I always liked Capolo. I just Because it's unique, it's different. A bit like Somerset Park. It's not your traditional normal yeah. football stadium. I don't know if this applies to you, but um, I'll speak about this with quite a few people. I, I like an old-fashioned ground like that, a Morton yes. or a Somerset from a fan's point of view, I would say I'm not as keen from a a working, a media point of view. Stop <laughs> being so selfish. It's not about you. But um, I, I understand, obviously, and it's great. if I think especially if you're in the top flight generally and you're accustomed to maybe the, the all-seater stadia, um, it, you know, going to an away day where you're packed into the terracing. For maybe some older people, it's maybe, oh, for Christ, not this again. But for younger people, it's a bit of a novelty, isn't it? It feels a bit more like yeah. the, old, the old days. When it's, the way it used to be. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, it's, it's a shame that it, it was a, a game that Hearts fans couldn't attend, because I think a lot of people would have would have liked that one. I was 
grateful I got to attend, although it, um, <laughs> it, it's a weird one from a... When you go into the main doors, it feels like you're entering a train station. You go down, you go down <laughs> some steps, and then there's these other steps. So you've got a big, long corridor ahead of you with the signs up top, you know, with an arrow saying, away changing room, home changing room, media. Um, and it just reminded me, when you go to the train station, you know, it's like platform one, platform two, and there's, and there's just stairs going either side to go down to wherever, whether it's... So I, I walked past, and you could hear the music from the Hearts changing room, blah. Weird thing, you know what football is like? They always have music blasting ridiculous levels. Um, and then you're kind of finding your way through to try and find which platform you're departing from to do commentary. Which, which platform? Uh, it's what That's it felt like. School, it, it felt very yeah, weird. It was, uh... Old school um, stadiums like that are... For, for me, having experienced both being behind the goal or being in the away end, and also the media from getting pancakes at Motherwell with the the, the kind of press fist. Yeah, they give us pancakes and butter. They the do butter put on a good was... spread at Motherwell. Oh, They've never given me pancakes, what? but they, they do put no, on this, a good spread. This was a good 15, 20 years ago, and it was the butter your gran used to put on your pancakes. There was more butter than pancake. That is, and you you could see the teeth mark in the butter. That's that was that's like loads. It, it would kill you. Fur I mean, park pancakes. I mean, no wonder the average life expectancy in Motherwell is like 16 or something like that, because <laughs> there's too much butter on their pancakes. That's what but it Kilma- is. Kilmarnock, um, just old school, because you do your interviews and you can hear the boot, the beatbox or the boombox or whatever the the, the bass <laughs> is. Now you're showing your age. I know, I know. The bass <laughs> from from the, from the cassette stereo. <laughs> but yeah, proper. Brockville was like that. Um, and yeah, I remember doing a game at Love Street. It was one of the last games at Love Street before they moved to whatever the hell it's called now, um, in that soulless part of, of the world in which they're now at. Um, I mean, I suppose it's easier to slash tires now because there's less lighting around their new stadium than, than Love Street. But it, I mean, it, it's comfort was not first on the list when it was designed and neither it should be no because we are in a privileged position in the media and and you i don't want to hear any complaints ever from you because you are doing something now if you get to a game if you haven't pissed them off during the week you're getting to a game <laughs> that no one else is getting to i know supporter I know. so no 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 argues um please do you ta- i'm kind of keeping on the tangents before we get to the yes, game do you, yes do you keep tabs on on all the games you go to it's yeah 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 so so this is the this is the thing um i was one ground away from doing the 42 and then they introduced promotion and relegation that's fucked it 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 totally has so i've now got two or three um and and they replace stadiums as well unfortunately yeah (laughs) yeah um i i have to have my again everyone's got their own how many have you been to my rule for myself was I have to have seen the team that own the ground or play at the ground play there. So, for, for example, if I'm... Someone, if someone I'm, said that to me when um, when I'd only been to Bayview to see Wraith and Hearts and they told me it didn't count. count. You've got to see... No, because you've not seen East Five. I have not. Um, so I saw, I saw Montrose Queen of the South in a B&Q Cup tie in 91 or 92. Um, so, and it where, doesn't necessarily have to be the that? first team. It was at Lynx Park. It was oh, when okay, Evo so. Den Beeman was playing, I think, for Queen of the South. And it finished 7-4. It was a weird and wacky thing. And I um, I saw our broth play um, in a in a B 
key youth cup tie. So I'm making up the rules as I go along because I'm just already contradicting myself. Um, you have to have seen the team play. It doesn't have to be the first team, even <laughs> though I said 30 seconds ago that it does have to be the first oh, team. Anyway, okay. P- Peter Head was the only one that I haven't been to. And I thought, okay. So every time I came back, uh, if I was home for Wimbledon to cover that and maybe a trip to Scotland to see the parents, I kind of thought, are we drive up to Peterhead? Because you're not going to get games called off. But that never happened. And then then things became problematic because teams came up. And I'm like, okay. So, um, and, and that's the other thing. Do you count Gretna in there? Because Gretna were in the league but aren't now, but still have a team and play at Radio. Yeah, not, not out of the... No, because I, I didn't count Berwick. No, no, I didn't count Berwick in mine. I've been to Shieldfield. So, so I want Peterhead relegated. Is that what we're saying? <laughs> that's what you do. But there's uh, another team. Who, who was who was the latest team that came up? There's another one I haven't been Cove. to. I've not been to Cove because Cove played Hearts, didn't they, in the Betfred? Did I you have, go to that? I did. I, I, that's one where that's I literally that. commentated in a phone call, holding my phone to my ear for two hours. Um, mm. And that's a new thing. You had a stadium. brain scan since then, because that might look a little bit different than prior to your commentary. <laughs> but the reason I asked was I did put the tweet out because I counted up and I'd done. Oh yes. I'd done. I've done thirty-six of the forty-two now. I think it was. That's good. Um, which is, and and to be fair, I mean, a lot of them are one-off days out that I've been to see um, a lower league team on a, a a random day the Hearts weren't playing. But it's just interesting because I'm, and not just from a visiting the grounds, it's from a. Just from an archive point of view, I was I wish I'd detailed every game I'd gone to since I was a kid because I actually started trying to do it a few days ago and the late 90s, early 2000s, obviously I didn't go to a game till mid to late 90s, the 90s and the early 2000s, I'm struggling to remember a lot of them if I went to games because back then I didn't have a season ticket, I lived up north so we went sporadically and we went to a lot of away games more away games to Dundee, Dundee United Aberdeen than Tynecastle often so um, it's just one of those things I just, I'm just i interested because I know some people especially people who work in the media will chronicle, you know they'll put it in a spreadsheet or they're writing a book all their games I just wondered if yeah, when you're it, doesn't matter, it, could be, I, it could be fans, it could be commentators obviously everyone, everyone yeah, yeah. can do it yeah. of, of course I've got my commentary books um, going, going right back to when I started in 1996 so I know the games that I've done and been at the grounds and for here doing them on, on TV over the last decade or so because we're all over the place with regards to the games and the matches and the countries that we, we cover games in. Um, prior to 96, yeah, it becomes hard. I mean, I went to, I think there was a spell where I didn't miss a home game for a good number of years. Um, I, remember, I remember one of the hardest ones to take was when I started doing... Not a job for Scott FM, but you've obviously heard we've played it in the past. The the horrific Clydebank Dunfermline game, <laughs> um, which which was my first. That I got paid for that, but I didn't get paid for doing stuff during the week. But I always thought, you know what, I'm still doing some college stuff. But then after that, I, I quit college because I had the opportunity to work at Scott FM for nothing, and it meant I did the games on a Saturday, which I got paid seventy five quid for. Um, but I wasn't getting paid for the rest of the week. And one, I was there during Euro 96, and I remember broadcasting with Robbo. He was in at Scott FM doing uh, England, Scotland, Scotland, Switzerland at Villa Park and the other game. But the whole Robbo story was was because it was one of the first times I was in the studio 
um, doing reports like around the ground stuff, just wraps and roundups and everything like that from the studio. But it was the same day that Robbo broke Jimmy Wardhaw's record or equaled it and then broke it. Yeah. It was against Rangers. 4-3, um, Yeah. Well, I can't remember because I wasn't there. I've obviously seen it since then. And having been on a run of X number of games um, at Tynecastle, it's like anything. The, the more you do, the harder it's going to be when you eventually miss one. But that was the that was the career path that, that I chose, and I was very very fortunate to to get to to watch many Hearts games, um, classed as work. But prior to starting work, uh, I've got programs which I collected. I'm a big program collector, um, so I've got them, and that would tell me the games I was at. Um, that would be the only way I would kind of remember. But I tried to go to as many as possible when I had the chance. Yeah, I, I, I just be, I'd be interested. I mean, let us know if, if you chronicle your your games. Have you managed to tick a lot off the list? A lot of people replied to me saying they'd done a lot of them. Um, someone had done all of them. Uh, this uh, Danny, who I used to sit next to at Tynecastle, who who lives in Austria now, um, hasn't done them all in the leagues, but says he's done 132 grounds in Austria. Which is um, wow! Which is mighty impressive. I remember seeing his messages on social media sometimes, and he would he would have pictures at some very small, non-league grounds. So that that was an impressive total. But I'm always interested, and it's something I wish I'd done now when I was younger, so I could look back and just to know that all the games I went to. But there you go. Just I, I, just I, just thinking of that, we haven't done homework for a while. Um, I mean, I've spoken about collecting things. There was someone I can't remember the name of the person. They collected every Scottish Cup program from every game played in the season 1997-98. When and they finally got their hands on on the missing one. It was like a Cowden Beef program or something they were after. Yeah, wasn't it? like the first or the second round. It wasn't like we're not just talking Hearts here. We're talking every single program yeah. of every Scottish Cup game played the year that Hearts won the cup in 97-98. That's great. Because it, it's like collecting Panini stickers from from way back. You maybe missing one and you just can't get your hands on it now. Um, I wonder if there's, there must be streaks, Hearts fans, with, with streaks of games up until the, the pandemic hit. Um, I wonder if we could find the person who's been to the most number of Hearts games in a row uh, that was obviously halted by the, the pandemic. Or, or home games, what streaks have you got? Mm. You haven't missed a home game. Now, obviously, it doesn't count because we've, no one can get in apart from you. Um, that would be pretty cool if you were the one. And then you ended up being able to. Yeah, it's not me doing it. I've uh, missed one in the last. I've missed one in the last couple of seasons, so it definitely won't be me. You um, had a thing about weddings when we played Aberdeen. Oh, I know that, that was yeah. Anyway, like, like, like I'm gonna, I'm gonna have to steer this back on course because um, I've, I've. Instigated. How far away from land did we get there? Oh, I can't even see it anymore. Did, did we get to Port Glasgow and then, then <laughs> get our Jimmy Johnson type sailing boat and disappear, and then we we arrived in the. Uh, in the in the kind of panhandle of Florida or up the east coast of uh, of Massachusetts. To be fair, it's about in terms of going off course. Uh, Morton um, is probably about the easiest away game to to go to. You just stay of, in the M8, don't you? You just you just hit the M8 and just keep driving until you <laughs> literally until you, get wet. Until, you until you reach Capolo, pretty much. You don't have to do anything. It was. I remember that. Yeah. Um, anyway. how, do I, how do I get to, to Capolo? I know. Uh, anyway, MA go. So yes, there we go. And now we've arrived at Capolo, and it's Morton. Yeah, so what, it's, what it's happened Morton at, against at Capolo, Hart, then? So, 
um, after Paul Gallagher and I were directed, this is, I'm, I'm going off, to, this is really annoying, right? So you, the, the car part there is behind one end of the goal, the Sinclair Street end, okay? And this is a, an empty stadium, so parked up, Paul Gallagher got out at the same time as me, so we kind of walked down. Who's Paul Gallagher? Hearts goalkeeping coach. Um, oh, that Paul Gallagher? Yeah. You travelled with him? No, no, we didn't travel. He parked next to me in the car park. Oh, so we, okay. We gotcha. walked down. Make, I, I don't it know. clearer next time. I don't know Paul Gallagher. We just both happened to be going down at the same time. And, Jim Gallagher's son, former Clydebank goalkeeper. Next. And um, we get to the door and we're like, oh, can we just go in here? I was like, no, no, uh, you have to enter the um, the the, 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 wee, the wee double end, whatever it is. All right, okay, so what do we do then? It's like, if you just walk all the way around the entire stadium and go into the other side. And we're at a turnstile, and you can see the pitch and where we're going. So we have to walk all the way around the entire stadium, go in the other side, and then walk around the pitch. So you, you enter the other side. And at the end of the game, I said, so can I exit just down there? Because I can see the same bit next to the car park. No, no, you have to go out the way you came in. So, but it's open. I mean, there's a person standing there. Can they not just let me out? There's no one. There's no one here. Nope, out that way, round the entire stadium, back to the side where you could have gone in, into the car park. I mean, could they not just make it simple? It's not like there's going to have crowds of people. Now I know why very few teams in the championship who host hearts want you anywhere near the stadium. Because you're <laughs> a, a right, fucking menace. I'm a right moan, aren't I? I'm actually going to go rascal. to games. You do what you're told. It's pandemic. Oh, I you're did what I, I, four. I did what I was told. I mean, I did it. I, I moaned about it, but I did it. Oh, it's people like you. If you're told to do something, they've been there probably since 1936, just prior to the Second World War. They've probably been doing that job since then. And then Yaldi Yoho comes from... The East, having made his way down from Montrose under 15s, and now he lives in Musselburgh because he's in Tier 2, thinks he's got the run of the place when he goes to Tier 4. Do as you're told, son. I did. Just wasn't... I Without wasn't... moaning. Well, that's different. Right, anyway. So, Harmon Lothian made four changes to the team that lost 1-0 to Alloa. Out went Mihai Popescu, Peter Haring, A.D. White and Liam Boyce, and in came... Craig Halkett, Andy Irving, Stephen Naismith and Craig Whiten. Andy Irving making his 40th appearance for Hearts. Um, and a team that started with, you know, we'll go with how Robbie describes it and I guess how it pans out. A 4-3-3 with Gordon and Goals, better Halkett centre-back, Smith right, Kingsley left, uh, Irving, Halliday, Lee, the central players, Walker and Naismith. Not really, you know, number 10 stroke inside forwards with Craig Whiten leading the line. Now we'll talk a bit about the tactics after. We'll just quickly go through the the bit, um, the game. I mean, first up, <laughs> Kreenik Morton. Oh my word. I'm not sure I can remember a more defensive team against Hearts. And They're no easy on the eye, are they? They play, I mean, Ooh, I said maybe. during commentary, at times they were defending with every single player within 30 yards. Of the Morton goal. On, was it Sinclair Street you called it or whatever? They uh, were that, that deep. They were, they were right. in the car park. It was. It was. And I heard that. I mean, uh, I spoke to some people before the game to get an idea about the Morton tactics, and they said it'll be five four. <laughs> it'll be five four one, and it will be a five. It won't be like a three five. It'll be five. They'll play a flat back five. They'll get everyone behind the ball. And I looked at the team, and I was like, "But you got like Muirhead in there and stuff. He's more of an attacker." He's like, "No, no. They'll just. He'll just put, put them all behind the ball." 
and and they'll get the ball up the park and chase it down. And it wasn't that; it was just everyone behind the ball, and then just launch it up the park. And he seemed he seemed quite happy with that. Um, Hopkin on the, on the sideline. Um, I like the goalkeeper. And he's, oh, he has to he has to be good because he's the only goalkeeper oh, that they've got. That's another that thing. Yeah. I was trying to do my prep, and I was like, okay. Official website, Who's the goalkeeper? one goalkeeper, Wikipedia, <laughs> soccer-based transfer market. Couldn't find a youth or a backup keeper anywhere. And put it out there on Twitter, and sure enough, Greenock Morton do not have a second goalkeeper. So they will have to actively nominate an outfield player on the bench as their backup if they need to put someone in goals. Which you just seems... That. Apparently, I mean, um, it was because I was walking around just... Paul Gallagher talking to him, he told me that. Um, See, so... it was worthwhile. There was a reason you parked where you parked. And here's <laughs> you moaning. See? Karma. I know. But um, yeah, it just seems a bizarre risk to take. Like, I understand teams, uh, you know, this you know, second tier or below, they, they might not be able to afford to have a second recognised keeper. But you think they would have a teenager or, you know, the player coach who can, who can put himself in goals if he really has to. But... It just seemed a bizarre risk to take, but like you say, um, he had a very good game, uh, blocked one from Walker in 22 minutes, had a uh, a really good save from Ollie Lee right at the end of the first half, tipping it onto the bar. Um, but, I, I mean, Hearts dominated possession in the first half. We expected that. They did it against Alawa. I thought there was a little bit more purpose, but uh, I guess the big thing is they got the goal. Um, Whiting could have got a goal in 35 minutes, it was, again, the same combination that got the goal against Arbroath. Michael Smith over the top. Um, nice first-time volley, good save. Uh, Smith obviously set that one up. He was involved again um, a minute later, which uh, led to the goal. It was um, him in from the right. Ollie Lee doing very well to turn and force the ball to Walker and a strike into the ground. And it's a difficult one for the goalkeeper. Can't move for it. And an opening goal. And it was, I think, just... A relief more than anything because 36 minutes in it felt like we had about 90% possession and if we if we didn't get that way through it might have started to feel like it was going to be the a same the same old story but um that certainly relaxed things the difference between before the opening goal and social media and hearts social media afterwards i'm not talking about hearts official social media i'm talking about Social media in general, yeah. um, from a heart's perspective, was like night and day because it was like, look, this is a game you've got to win. It's nil-nil, it's 36 minutes on the watch. I thought we played well. Um, I th- there was one whipped ball across that um, if there had been a taker, it probably would have scored by Morton. But that was about it as far as, as yeah. they had to offer. Yeah, McGinty fired one across the box yeah, wide in the that, 20th that, minute. That was about but... it. But I, like, I liked our movement. And I think it's interesting reading... Barry Anderson's piece uh, with Robbie about the formation and how Robbie's claiming it was the same formation that they used at Alloa. Um, yeah, yeah. I mean, I mean, uh, what I would say because I, I was going to go on to. I mean, first half against Alloa, I, I agree to an extent, and Robbie did. He said that you know he said all oh, people said we're playing great, but I thought we played the same that we did against Alloa. And fair enough, the first half, and I mentioned at the time, I mentioned it during commentary. I thought it was a good first half against Alloa, apart from the finishing. But that doesn't really mean anything if you then play poorly in the second half and lose the game. Oh, um, I've got, I've, I've, so I got his point to an extent. But if you don't put the ball in the net and then start to play poorly and and then lose, hundred percent. So I, I I get to what he, what he was saying, but the goal certainly settled things. And I think one thing I thought Alloa were defensive against us, um, but 
more controlled in some ways. They did press us in certain areas and they gradually got into the game. I mean, Morton, that is not easy to play against, no matter how good your team is. They played with at least 10 players behind the ball at all times hearts were in position. There's no, there's no space. And and this is what I found interesting because you, you and I have spoken about hearts formation this season and how different tweaks have been made. And Robbie's hand has kind of been forced right now due mm-hmm. to either injuries or, or lack of form of wide players. So what he's done, he's gone with a 4-3-3, but the game against Morton, the, the two players either side of Whiten, Naismith and, and Walker, were still wide air. But it's a narrow 4-3-3 middle to front, which allows your two fullbacks to get forward. And this, yeah. apologies if this is about to bore anybody, but I like this kind of tactics talk with regards to Hearts and, and other teams that we see. So we've spoken before about my love for Atalanta's formation and how I've, I've spoken with Robbie about this, how they play a, a 3-4-2-1 or a 3-4-1-2. But in possession, one of the centre-backs moves forward and becomes um, a, a, a midfielder. But the centre-backs that do that have to be good on the ball. And it, it kind of takes me on to a comment that Craig Levine made on Sportsound. Um, and I think Craig's a very good listener on Sportsound when he's talking about other things that he's seen from other clubs. And he was talking about Shane Duffy at Celtic because the topic was, was Neil Lennon. And he was asked about Shane Duffy, and he said, I don't understand the signing. So he was pressed on that, and he said, look, Celtic are a team who are going to have most of the ball in most of the games that they play in. So they're going to get their fullbacks forward. So for that, you need good ball-playing centre-backs. Shane Duffy has come from being a rugged centre-back and a very good one at Brighton, where they had less of the ball. He was asked to do more of the kind of heading away. And he wasn't kind of, there's the ball, go and make something happen. That didn't really happen at Brighton, hmm. but it's happening at Celtic. And with this kind of three at the back that, that we've spoken about before, is there a need for that for Hearts right now? Which, of course, you can move one of your centre-backs into midfield. But in a game like this against Morton and against Aloha as well, you know that it's going to be crowded there. So you know that if you're playing three at the back, whether it's McIver or McIver, however you pronounce him, or, or Muirhead, whoever their lone striker was, you're, you're wasting a defender. So yeah. by having these two full-backs, Smith and Kingsley, when Hearts have possession, of which they're going to have quite a lot of, they can easily be utilised further forward as wingbacks to an extent. And it'd be interesting yeah. to see, and I, I don't have the stats, what the average position of our fullbacks mm. is right now. Because I don't see the need to play a three at the back now that we've kind of found our way and we know what we're dealing against. And a lot of teams pack the midfield or pack defence. The three at the back is pretty much redundant. So I totally get why Robbie's electing for this four at the back, which in essence is a three if one of the midfielders can just protect and the two fullbacks then become midfielders, which allows Walker and Naismith to do stuff around Whiten, knowing that they have support from Smith and Kingsley, who are the two, rather than a 4-4-2, where your wide players, you would think, would get the ball and try and whip it in. There's no point in putting someone out there and whipping a ball in if we've got no one to put it in the back of the net. That became clear after two or three weeks. So that's why I think that Robbie deserves praise for tampering with information to an extent and not being um, stubborn 
like we've had previous managers be stubborn. And he's like, you know what? This is the best formation that fits the players that I have and the style of football that we are up against. And I think it worked well at bottom. No, I agree. Um, and I think we actually highlighted it after the defeat to Dunfermline. I think we'd mentioned, should we focus more on the fullbacks for width and get stronger players who can play centrally? Because, you know, we felt the likes of, with Junelli out, we were playing Freer or Roberts, who haven't really been showing it yet. We played um, White in there, White there, who are slightly out of position. So we either had players who who either have not impressed yet or are out of position. Um, in in those roles, why not try and yeah get someone better centrally and you exploit the the fullback areas, which is exactly what he did. And um, we'll go into the second half very briefly because three minutes into the second half, the game was effectively over. It was a really nice cross field ball from Irving. Um, from the right to pick out Walker, nice touch away from his man, um, neat finish into the right corner. Uh, and such as these games, um, if, if when the game's done, it, it quietened into the latter periods and it slowed. And oh, yeah, they were beaten and it was a case of Exactly, met. exactly. So um, that was kind of game done. I, I mean, obviously I want to highlight Andy Irving, especially because he had a, he had a very good game. Um, and I think he's... I think it's one of these things that people have been crying out for, and it's good news that Hearts are in talks with him, apparently, to extend his contract. Yeah. He's sure. he's the one central midfielder who can really carve open a defence, who can pick that pass out, you know, quick thinking. Um, and you saw it with the goal, you, you saw it in the first half a couple of times. You know, and fair enough, not every pass will come off, but you need a player like that, I think, in the middle, especially with how we're talking about playing. If we're not going to be talking about a proper wingers getting wide and getting crosses in. Um, we're not talking about playing a direct game over the top or anything. I think you need someone in the middle. If you're going to play with those three midfielders, you're going to play the ball through them. You need someone who can pick a pass. Otherwise, you end up in those situations we've seen us in recently, where it's side to side, side to side, lots of possession, no penetration. Andy Irving is, is, is a player who I've... I think a lot of people have seen something from him, and he's a very smart footballer. And the assist was was fantastic. The crossfield delivery. Uh, Jamie Jamie played well. He did. And he had a great game. Yeah. Yeah. J- just listening to Robbie's comments afterwards, Jamie wasn't 100 percent in recent weeks. Um, I think he. I don't know where in which particular game he took a knock. If it was in training or if it was a game or or whatever. Um, but the interesting thing for me was this. I think is the first time I can remember this season where Jamie's played well while Naismith has been on the park. Because remember, we had the same yeah. conversation about Jamie being in the 10. And how? what do we do when Naismith is also playing there as well? Well, he's, he's kind of worked He's worked something out. He's got one one side, not wide. This is what we spoke about earlier, because the width is being provided by the fullbacks. He's, he's kind of, it's like a double pivot behind the striker. So they're both kind of playing in a 10, but one's playing one side, one playing the other, and they've got freedom to move over. So I think, would you agree, is this the first time that Jamie's played like that with Naismith in the lineup? Um, I, I should probably have to have a, a proper think, but certainly in recent times, I can't, I can't think of it being as effective as that because they both played well. I think Walker especially stood out, but Naismith was much more effective. Um, so you, 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 you're... There's certainly a degree of accuracy with that. 
Um, someone's going to go, oh, but do you not remember that game where they both played fantastic? No, I'm sure that I'm sure there might have been a game before, but it just it doesn't come to to mind. Not recently, straight no. straight no. away. So so that's a positive as well. But Andy Irving, I was thinking back to maybe the 90s and a player who was very highly thought of because a lot of people thought he was a really good passer of the football. Um, but his name was Neil Janchik, and you'll remember him. He set up Phil mm-hmm. Stamp for yeah. for the goal. And he, I mean, his, his, did he achieve what he should have achieved given the ability he had? No. He ended up at Pennycook and then went on. He's playing junior football now. And, and that's fine. There's so much that goes into being a successful footballer. It's not just ability. You've got to have application. You've, you've got to live like Anne Frank at times. Um, it's, it can be tough. But he was a really good passer of the football. When he was coming through, Hearts behind the scenes people thought, we've really got someone here. And I remember chatting many, many years ago with, with Craig Levine as, as Neil Janchik had made it into the first team. But Craig always thought he'd be a better midfielder on the continent where he could pick the ball up from the centre-back and be the, not so much a defensive midfielder, but be the kind of midfield... Deep-lying playmaker. Yeah, pretty much, because he'd get the time um, to do so. And in, in Scotland, a lot of the time, if you want a high press, that time isn't there. But Andy Irving is, is someone who... I'm not really comparing him with Neil Janchik. I think Andy Irving's a better footballer than, than Neil Janchik was. Um, but I can see some sort of similarities. That they have a range of passing that they can see things ahead of other people. That's that's vital um, in a football team. And for Hearts to get him tied down, which hopefully they will over the next few months, to a longer term deal. I think he's someone that will make Hearts a fair bit of money going forward if he continues to progress the way that he has up till now. I think so. I, I mean, you highlighted a lot of the points um that I was going to make very well about Robbie Nielsen and talking about the 4-3-3 formation. Um, <laughs> comparisons with Ajax in the 70s, obviously always going to draw well, let's some... Just, let's just stop there. Yeah, it's the only comparison gonna draw... that you should ever make with Hearts and Ajax was that Hearts <laughs> once had a kit that was kind of like the Ajax jersey. Um, that's, where the, uh, that's where things should, should stop. We've had um, some Dutch players... If you want to go off on a tangent, which I don't. But... No, no, we've had enough. Um, but w- one thing I was going to put to you, though, because he talked about what you said. He said, you know, looking to have kind of two number 10s almost with Naismith and Walker, focus on getting the fullbacks forward, which he, when we spoke about it in the, the Morton game there, Michael Smith was certainly very influential. Kingsley was getting forward on the left. But what happens to Josh Ginelli here? Because um, he's obviously said... We, we generally like to play with width, but with Elliot Freer, Josh Ginelli and Jordan Roberts all out recently, we didn't have a huge amount of width, which is why we're playing with narrower wide men. Um, and he also went to say uh, uh, about the tweak, after talking about the tweak and get the fullbacks higher, it's much the same system and something we are trying to stick to for the rest of the season. Now, Elliot Freer and Jordan Roberts haven't particularly impressed, so I can see that they might be bit part players if everyone's fit. Josh Ginelli, though, was quite impressive, and we missed him when he got injured. Where does he fit into this when he gets back fit, if we have start to master this 4-3-3 mm-hmm. that Robbie says he wants to continue with? It's a very good question, Laurie. <laughs> you might not have an answer. I mean, I'm just thinking out loud. No, I've, 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 the answer I would have, rather than a plan A and a plan B, I think it's a plan A1 and a plan A2. I think it's mm-hmm. two versions of the same plan. And I don't see why. We've spoken before about hybrid players, hybrid formations. What formation are you playing? It's a 4-4-2. It doesn't really exist anymore. You've got a different formation with the ball and you've got a different formation without the ball. It's easy to tweak 
mid-game formations yeah. as well. So you could easily have, I mean, this is where it would get interesting because you would think, wait a minute here, would we end up lopsided? Because we've spoken about the two fullbacks getting forward. Robbie didn't mind if it you... lopsided last time, though. He, he, he well, we, we've had right lopsided before yeah. with Callum Patterson, haven't we? Yeah. If you remember, if you remember that. So lopsided can work. I think he might have to, to change a little bit. You can't just have him on the, the byline getting chalk, not on the byline, on the out wide getting chalk or paint on his boots. Um, but I think with, with someone like him, and this is where I think we can we can go forward to the January transfer window, because Robbie said he still wants a winger and a striker. Those are his two priorities. I would be intrigued to know, now that he's got permission to, to add them within reason to his squad from Ann Budge, I would be intrigued as if to see which types of strikers that he is is targeting. Because right now, we've got the small, busy, bustling strikers. I think not so much an Uche type, because I, I think you'd want the same physicality, but more mobile. That would then play into perfectly the hands of, of Josh Ginelli. Um, so up until then, assuming and hopefully Ginelli's back before the transfer window opens, and I don't know if he will be or not. I don't know what chance he's got of, of making the cup final because that would certainly be a boost. It's fine having a winger, but as we spoke about last week, a winger putting a ball into the box, if you've got someone who's not even six foot up against the land of the Giants, you then really have to get to the byline. So I'll be intrigued as to see how it's going to work, but I think you can have an out ball out wide but you have to be smarter when it comes to, to deliveries, and that requires movement from others. There's different types of movement. You've got movement from the smaller strikers, but if you're adding a striker, if for, for me, if a striker comes in, I think Robbie's probably looking at a mobile, more physical striker, that not someone that's the same as what we have. We don't need another one of them, um, because then it's kind of, well, if you're in form, you play. We need something a little bit different, I think, a more mobile um, big man is what I think we'd be targeting, and, and that would play perfectly for, for Josh Ginelli. Who do you think we should we should go for? Not necessarily a name, but that kind of, what kind of striker do you think we need? It really does depend on how we want to play, and I mean, um, we've spoken about getting a, a goal scorer in has been a big thing, but I guess there's still that feeling that Liam Boyce should come good um, when, they, when the ball starts to, to hit the back of the net for him. Um, I don't know. It really does depend on how we want to play, and it does depend on Liam Boyce and if Robbie, when the window opens, feels he's still confident that he will become the goal scorer that you know he has shown in the past. Then you may be less focused on getting a penalty box striker, a goal scorer, albeit Liam Boyce's link up play is very good as well. Um, but yeah, a different option would be someone with a bit of, I get, I guess, a bit more of a muscular, strong, hold-up striker, um, someone that you maybe can give you another option. You don't want to say target man so much, because then it kind of implies that you're going to play a certain way, but just a different option. Like you say with Ginelli and, and wide men, if it, if it gives you a different option in a game, um, if things aren't going well in defeat in a certain game, um, and you maybe want to get some balls into the box, maybe someone who will who will score from there, I don't know. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, we'll, we'll wait and see. It's good to know that Robbie has been given permission to to get a couple of players in that he feels he needs, and um, I, th- I think we'll probably get a better picture by the time we hit January exactly what we need and exactly what he'll be looking for. 
Okay, moving on. Um, before moving we on. before we look ahead to to this Saturday's game, I just want to mention it feels very weird that in a week and a half, Hearts could be lifting the Scottish Cup. Um, I put this out. I put this out on Twitter, basically saying, um, "How is everyone feeling? It doesn't. You know, are people getting excited or nervous, or doesn't it feel real?" And, and the general consensus seemed to be from a lot of people that it hasn't hit yet, or they don't feel it's going to hit at all. Um, how are you feeling about this one? Obviously, like every Hearts fan, um, hmm. you'll be watching from afar. I know normally you are, I guess slightly away from it in terms of being able to go to the match since but does it does it feel real i mean there's a lots of people lots of people still questioning the validity of the whole thing i think it's very easy and we'll probably do the same if we if we don't win you write it off and you say well a free hit it was last season's competition we had our doubts about how much it really counted if we win that is everyone is going to forget about that though Slightly similar to the semi-final in mm. that it's it wasn't until the day of the game where the adrenaline was pumping and during the game it was back to the old routine, albeit. So for me it's slightly different because this is how I watch Hearts. Yeah. So it'll be it'll be no different. I mean, previously in previous seasons, I mean when we won the semi-final, um, I think was it against Inverness that got us to the final against Celtic. Mm-hmm. It's been book your flights once we're in the final. And I kind of thought, yeah, I can book my... And I was like, no, you can't. No one's going. You can't get there um, because there's something called a pandemic that's ongoing. So this, this, is, this is how I watch Hearts. Not for cup finals. And it's going to be weird for everyone else, especially Hearts fans in the West of Scotland. The, the team's playing a cup final just miles from their door and they can't do anything about it. They've just got to watch on TV. Um, Could it be? Did you see? Sorry, did you see that Scott Gardner tried to um, put forward the Caledonian Stadium to to host the game instead because they'd be able to put some fans in the in the ground. We spoke about this flippantly two or three weeks ago when Inverness <laughs> yes, was in year yeah. one, as if to say, you well, did, why, yeah. why don't we why don't we take our North Plate in Dingwall and Inverness? Um, you gotta have a bit of shit stirring. I, I don't I don't know. And I know we're going to get on to a really interesting conversation about the merits of this game compared with other cup finals that Hearts have played. And everyone is totally subjective because everyone's going to have their own opinion about this. Um, I have to say I'm pleased that Neil Lennon's still in charge because I think Celtic players, I think, I mean, this is another discussion for another day. I've had it many times with my pals that support Rangers and Celtic um, in, in the last couple of weeks. Certainly Celtic, the Rangers fans have been trying to shit star and rub it in and go fishing and all sorts. I think it's a good thing from a Hearts perspective that Lennon's still in charge because I'm not convinced that these Celtic players who are low in confidence and low in morale um, are, are behind their manager. Had someone come in on a temporary basis, I think that would have been a more beneficial for Celtic um, than Hearts. So we've got, we've got a chance. But I don't know how much of a chance we've got. You and I spent. We've the got a time better chance for Lennon in charge, I think. A hundred? Oh no, hundred percent. That's what I think. That's, that's the point you I'm know, making. The, you, the, you, but, they could debate the percentage, but I think, without a doubt, and I don't think any Hearts fans are claiming it makes them confident. But I think you're more optimistic playing a Celtic side oh, in turmoil with Lennon in charge than a Celtic side that have that initial boost of a change, regardless of whether the change is just 
an interim manager or whatever, you, you, you want that turmoil to be there when we play them. Of course you do. So here's a, Let me turn this around slightly. Do you think Hearts fans right now should feel more optimistic ahead of this cup final against Celtic than Hearts fans should have felt 10 yes. days before the last cup final against Celtic? Yes. Yes. Okay. yes. And then... I was very surprised at how much of a game we gave Celtic that game because we we were the better side. I mean, Celtic had two chances and they scored them both in that game, and one of them was a penalty. Um, well, we were we were more comfortable. We we had less of the ball, but we were better with what we did. Yeah, it was the tactical the approach worked. They, so it's maybe they, they were famous special. last maybe it's famous last I, words that I've got more optimism for this one. <laughs> no, that, that's fair. I just I just wanted to get the the opinion just because we're we're not in that league. We started later. We had a good win over Hibs. Um, they're the deserved favourites. They're the of course, of course, the, the reigning champions. Um, they're the supposedly, or they were prior to the start of the season, the best team in the country. But but they're not right now. And if you're pricing it up, you, you make them the favourites. But it, I, I'll be interested to see what Robbie has learned from Sparta Prague, from Ross County, and uh, this is where I think the four three three. I hope he I hope he sticks with that. I don't want a four-five-one because you've got the tendency for a lone striker to get isolated. You've seen what their weakness is. They are a shambles at the back defensively. I'm not convinced by their goalkeeper. I think we've got their best goalkeeper. I know why they yeah. let him go, and they've ended up with five million on Barkas or or Bain. And they're probably going to try to get rid of Barkas in January. I think. Yeah, for how much? Five p. So <laughs> midfield forwards, Scott Scott Brown's. Scott Brown's a couple of years past his best, or not past his best, but past his, his kind of punching weight or whatever. Celtic right now are the heavyweight champion of the world who is on his last legs. They're about to be deposed um, by Rangers as far as the title is, is concerned. Um, this might be the last shot of glory. It's and a bit like it, a 1998 final when Hearts I was just about to say that. Aging Rangers side. Mm-hmm. A hundred percent. So we, I'll just be intrigued. I hope we don't show them too much respect. Well, I mean, I we we'll, have a yeah. we have a goal within reason. Not gung ho. Gung ho is stupid because they no. have got really, really good players middle to front that can pick us off. What we did in the cup final, and where Craig Levine got his tactics uh, right to an extent, was deny them space in key areas um, yeah. because. I like Tom Rogic. I think he's an excellent player. Ryan McGowan, you and I discussed that. Ryan Christie's a fantastic... Their best players are middle to front. Odson Edward, when he can be asked, is a fantastic footballer. But we have to be in a position where we can have a go at them and not turn around and lie down and have our tummies tickled because they have some bomb scares at the back. Yeah. And even the players who we know have played better, their confidence is shot right now from set pieces... We've seen the goals that they've conceded of late. It doesn't take a genius to to go through the games against Sparta Prague and and Ross County and St Johnston and and to see how they've been able to to breach that Celtic rearguard. I just hope we have enough opportunities to do that and don't just sit back and say, "Come on, attack us." Indeed, I, I mean it's interesting we're talking about the comparison to to ninety eight, and the reason I wanted to mention that was simply because. Um, Amoruso lets it run put a poll on Twitter a couple of days ago which was 
If Hearts win the Scottish Cup on the 20th of December, will it rank as the biggest achievement, if not the most celebrated, of the four most recent victories given our opponents in the last three ties? Um, I mean, the actual votes were pretty much neck and neck. It was 50.6% said no and 49.4% said yes, it would be the best achievement. And I saw a lot of people quoting it saying, are you crazy? One thing to establish, I don't believe, I believe it would be the it's a shame to call them the weakest, but I believe the the three hard sides who've won the cup in ninety eight, two thousand and six, and twenty twelve are all stronger than the current side. They're all better teams than the current side. That's not to say the current side is bad, but in comparison, you know, ninety eight, a really strong side, um, gave both Celtic and Rangers a run for the title. You know, the closest Hearts have come to winning the title, certainly in my lifetime. Um, they played a a Rangers side in the way out in the final, uh, you would say. I mean, they were still underdogs, but they had a good chance, I would, I would still say. 06, a really strong side. Um, possibly, on paper, some would argue the best of them. Um, played a final against a third-tier club. Obviously, huge favourites and edged their way there. Um, 2012, a decent Hearts team with you know a very strong derby record. Um Favourites for the final against the hip side that they dominated recently, and obviously the manner of the victory was very impressive. But I mean, you compare it to now. Obviously, this year, a, a poor heart side last season that got relegated. They face Rangers, they face Hibs, they'll face Celtic. A global pandemic, having to play in the second tier against a Celtic side looking to seal a twelfth straight domestic trophy, a quadruple treble. I mean, I'm not claiming that this would be the strongest Hearts team. But as an achievement, I can see the arguments for saying it would be the biggest achievement of the four. It wouldn't be the most poignant, like a 98. It wouldn't be the... Well, you, you wouldn't think it would be as spectacular as 2012. Christ, could you imagine? Um, but you, I think there's good arguments for saying it could be the biggest achievement. Partly to because it's not as... Um, an impressive side with the same quality as a 98 or an 06 or you, you don't have a schedule like in 2012. It's very hard to strip it back. Um, when you, No one's going to be there, fans-wise. Uh, and it's, it's, it's going to be weird. Whoever wins, it's going to be weird for, for a National Cup final to be played in front of an empty stadium. Here's how I would do the four. If Hearts were to win this, 1998 would be first regardless. 1998 was the the culmination for so many of us um, who were born post-1956. I was 77. Even someone that was born in 1957 had never seen their team win the Scottish Cup. So that was the thing. We never thought we would see Hearts win a Scottish Cup. And to do so, to end a 42-year wait, was was something that will never eclipse. And for me, even if it's a choice between that and the Hibs game, I still have that as my favourite. And I get that, but um, that is that's also... I, I understand it completely, but it's also an age thing it? because it because I what, what, what I didn't go to a game it? till '97. I know. So I although you I was just sauntered up, and then first season we won a cup, and you thought, oh okay, this just won't be a man. And it meant it, it meant more to my dad that one, but to me, 2012 was I guess bigger because I was I was kind of fully fully entrenched in it by that point and I was and it, you know it, to me it felt big it felt huge whereas you know when you're um would have been no I wouldn't even I would be 11 uh, sorry I can't even do my maths now we'd be 11 when we played um 
when we played Rangers. I don't think I understood the magnitude at that point. Importance is another word for this, because I think the most important of the four was 2012, because the ramifications of defeat yeah. would have been unthinkable. If some Hearts fans still blame Robbie Nielsen for their team being 2-0 up and ending up drawing at Tynecastle, losing the replay and Hibs going on to win the Cup in, in 2016, can, can you imagine what it would have been like if Hearts had lost oh. a Cup final to end their drought? So importance-wise, by some distance... Um, would be 2012. Then I think importance-wise, again, there's so many different parameters here because losing to Gretna in 2012 would have been an utter embarrassment. Sorry, in 2006 would have been an utter embarrassment um, given the players that Hearts had against that kind of kind of team. So is that more important than 98? I go back to the 42-year wait. I mean, that that's importance-wise. So it, it's difficult. Achievement-wise... It's funny though, if you think, right, say... It's a great question, I have to say. Yeah, it was just interesting because I saw a lot of people immediately saying, oh, don't be silly. But I think they're thinking about it in a way of which is the best team, which is of clearly this team. And again, all due respect to this team. Um, but clearly this team has not got the same quality as definitely not 98, um, 2006. And I think 2012 had its had its flaws that team but had some quality players you know, had Scatchel in there for the start which just completely changes the team but if you say in 50 years so people are talking about looking at the records so this may be less mm-hmm. context as such I know it's probably going to be different than us looking back to the 50s because you get so much um, content you can look back on but they say well, let's see those hearts win so you got 98 you got 2006 2012 and you got 2020 and a little st- you know, the little star against it. So what happened that year then? It's like, oh, well, 2020, <laughs> let me tell you. That that cup final didn't even get played till the season after, laddie. And there was no one there. because There, there was, was a, no one there? There was a global, what, pande- that, the global what, pandemic. Next, next you're going to be telling me it was on a Sunday. Aye, and it was at Christmas. Oh, it, it, <laughs> there was no one there. There was a, coronav- a coronavirus. But we get our vaccine every every week, every year for that. <laughs> It's, it's going to be one of those oh, most iconic wins, almost to look back on and go, "That was." Yeah, but, but now, incredible. now you've moved the goalposts. Now you've moved it from. Um, <laughs> oh yeah, because you never do that. No, exactly. It's nothing wrong with that. You've There's done no about five times already. Sure. Oh, of course. Um, <laughs> yeah, I mean, importance, achieving. Um, it's, it's, yeah, th- this is. This is something that's that's hard to... Everyone's going to have a different opinion about this. They will. And uh, lots of people will say, meh, I still don't think it should have been played. It's last season's cup. It was all to... But no, but yeah, for, forget that. It's, it's going ahead. I mean, for, for any team to win a cup, having beaten Rangers, then Hibs, then Celtic in the quarters, the semis and the final, you bloody well earn it if that's, mm-hmm. if that's what you do. And that's what Hearts have done. Yeah. They beat Rangers. They beat Hibs. And if you rank it that way, then 98 didn't even meet a top top flight side to the final. We played third round, Marks and Spencers, fourth round, Aldi, quarterfinals, (laughs) I think we played Lidl, a tough one in the semi-final against Waitrose, and then in the final we we had Rangers. Um, Theoretically speaking, in 2006, we played a team of daily record competition winners in the final. I mean, it was was Gretna. Um, But you still got to win it. So each of them were important in their own ways. For me, 98, 12, 
the decision would be whether this one would go ahead of Gretna. Um, I think it would. I think it would because we won. We were expected to win. I think it would um, have to go ahead. If unless if you take out the fact, you know, doubts about the validity of playing it, but in terms of the victory, given all the circumstances, and I know it won't feel the same for for most because they won't be there and they won't be able to remember you know walking out of Hamden and celebrating and everything that goes with it because that's what that's what cup finals are really all about isn't it it's the experience but yeah it's 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 a good question honestly if you let us know what you think at around the funnel um, just order the four assuming we won't listen to us goodness me we're underdogs hypothetically we've got to play Queen of the South first as well I know could you do some sort of poll on Twitter? Uh, I don't know how you would do that. Um, in that importance, uh, what order would you have them? Or just get just get people to, to kind of let us know. Let's do it rank, after we win. Rank Let's, the four. We'll do that but, after but, we win. Then we can, yeah. Yeah, no, uh, uh, of course. But what what is your word? What is your adjective to describe it's, it's too this, hard this because, question? I thought biggest achievement that Amoruso lets it run was a good way to put it because I think that can be fiercely debated in terms of you, the achievement. Um, mm-hmm. Obviously, we're not because we're not. You know, if you talk quality of the team, and, and then it could just be subjective to people's experience. You know, like you say, for a certain generation, '98 can never be topped, no matter what the context, because that's the one that ended the, a run. But for, for people younger who who were either very young in 98 or who missed 98 it won't really mean much to them personally because they either weren't there or they didn't truly appreciate the magnitude so um and and, and, you know for some 2006 maybe is the same because we've got hearts fans who were born um you know after that now who are going to games regularly or who are young so it is very subjective for a lot of hearts fans this could be their first big final Mm -hmm. if they were if they were five or six um, in 2012, even this could be their big one. So, just let let us know what you what you think. I'm not going to put it to a vote yet. I think we need to maybe have a think about that, and it could get tricky. But um, certainly an interesting yeah. one, and um, the debate will continue. Mm. Okay, before we go, a very quick look ahead to. <laughs> we do have to. This is one of these where we keep we we talk about Celtic and. A week Sunday for 10 minutes and then we get pumped by Queen of the South at the weekend and we have to dissect that. Um, so Hearts do host Queen of the South in their um, next league match on Saturday at Tynecastle, playing a Queen of the South side uh, off the back of a heavy defeat to Inverness last week, 3-0 at Palmerston. Sitting down in 8th on 4 points, lost 2 and drawn 1 away from home. Struggled last season, finished second bottom in the Championship. They're the side that were two points ahead of Partick with a game played more when things were ended um, by the league. So it's a game where Hearts will be heavy favourites. There'll be an expectation on Hearts to, I suppose, win and win well. Um, Dunfermline at home to Morton, obviously the side that we've just leapfrogged to at the top. So I think, first off, Mark, it's a must win. And second of all, it's um, a game where I think... W- we want to show what we're all about, but we also want to be looking ahead to Celtic, I think, because this is our, our last dress rehearsal, isn't it? Yeah, will it be like the final Betfred Cup group game uh, prior to facing Dundee? Uh, is seven, eight days enough 
to rest and recuperate? Um, probably. So I, I, I wouldn't expect that many changes. There's also an argument, why don't you play your cup final team um, in this one and, and see how you get on? I'm looking at, at Queen of the South's recent games and, and lineup. Always admired Stephen Dobby. And I spoke earlier about did Neil Janchik achieve what he could have achieved in football, and I don't think he did. But it's easy to sit here and say that. He'd probably say that as well. Stephen Dobby's another one because the amount of people, whether it's on podcasts, guys who've played with him or guys who've watched him, that, that say one of the most natural finishers. He's 38 years old now, but he's still going to be a, a threat. Alan Johnson's going to love coming to Tynecastle and bringing his boys there. Um, Dobby, I mean, he had, his, he had a spell down south, but just, just a super footballer. Um, was he in the best condition throughout his career that he could have been in? No. Um, but you know what? He is what he is, and he's probably happy. He'll probably look back when he retires and say, maybe I could have done more. But if you're not, there's no point in doing that when you retire. And he's had a, he's had a really good career, Stephen Dobby, and he, he'll certainly be a threat. Now, in the last game, the one you mentioned against Inverness, when they lost by three goals to nil, um, they went with a 4-4-2. So I'm thinking, okay, is that what they're going to do at Tynecastle? So I went further back to the Dunfermline game away from home that they lost 3-2 when they were the underdogs in that. Um, and then I thought, okay, what did they do there? So in that game, they went with a 3-5-2. So he has played different formations. I wouldn't be surprised if uh, it was it was one up rather than two up, and that would give you a 5-4-1 or a 4-5-1. So I think what we're going to see, like we've seen from... The Arbroath performance, uh, from the Aloha performance away from home, from the Dunfermline performance, it's going to be nine behind the ball, outfielders, and us having to break them down. Um, they're not coming to Tynecastle to have a go. They're going to say, OK, break us down. Do we have the formation? Do we have the tactics to do so? I'd hope so. You'd hope so, and after the way we we did it quite well against Morton, it was probably a good warm up for for what we might see at home. Um, so it'd be interesting because I I would hazard a guess, you know, unless there's injury worries that Robbie will want to play as close a team as he can to what we'll play against Celtic because it's his last yeah. chance he will. And we, it's not like we've got this settled system that we've been using for months. He's said himself, he's tinkered with what we've done in the last couple of games to try and settle upon this. So I think he'll try and play as close as he can. If there's a Obviously, if someone's got a niggle, he's not going to risk them. So I think it'll be very interesting. And um, it'll be obviously a very different game to what we'll face against Celtic because against Celtic, we'll have a team that will want to come at us regardless of how they've been playing and there'll be a lot more space in certain areas um also our defense will m- most likely be under a lot more pressure so i think it's important that we certainly build some confidence we, we want a win we need to keep getting the points on the board but also to see is this system going to work is this what we're going to play at hamden park and um I, i'm i'm optimistic for this weekend to get a decent win and i think um it will then hopefully kick us on for for the cup final and Celtic are at home this weekend, I believe as well. Oh uh, yeah, they've probably they've probably got some protest planned for Celtic for home to Kilmarnock on Sunday. So I've got two questions for you. If we play the four three three in the cup final, and I hope we do, the two questions are thus: If Haring starts, which of the three midfielders playing in that central role doesn't? 
And do you play Popescu or Berra? Oh, I didn't expect to have a troubling question like that before we've even got to the words <laughs> of the cup final. Um, midfield's really hard because Robbie said, um, you know, he, they moved it around and they did. It was very hard to keep tabs on who he wanted to play where because it was just fluid. It was moving around and he played Irving. So it was Halliday who was deeper initially and then he put Irving back there. Um, but then Irving was further. So Irving was deeper at points to try and play passes from that point and he can pick the ball up deep and dictate play. But he did say at points he wanted to move him further forward because he's the more dangerous player when you get towards the final third with his ability to pick up pass. Um, it's hard because you play Irving. I think you want to play Haring if he's available because he's our best midfielder in terms of being a linchpin. And you're playing a Celtic side where you want someone to control the game. And he was so important in the cup final he played him when he was barely half fit. Lee, so and Lee or Halliday? I would, I would. Have, if you'd asked me if early in the season, I would have definitely said Halliday without a doubt. However, out of the two, I would probably suggest that Lee has been slightly better than Halliday recently, albeit he's had his off games as well. Um, so that's a very tough question. I, I mean, some may argue that Halliday will be as up for it as anyone, um, <laughs> given yeah. the opposition. <laughs> Just don't get sent off, pal. Just that would don't be the final message. Um, I, I can't give you a good answer um, for that one. Bera yeah. Popescu. There is, there is a way out of this. You know that. The, the way out of this is... End the show, because we're almost there anyway. <laughs> yeah, the, the way out of it, and it's not going to happen now, um, because of tinkering, unless it happens this weekend. The way out of this is Halka and Haring. You know, I think Haring. If Haring's playing at the back, I think he'd have to be. He'd have to be in a three. Yeah, I. I wouldn't want that bigger uh, tinkering. Okay. okay. I, look, so if, answer... if I could play Smith in there, play Smith in there. But unfortunately, he's by far our best right, right back. back. So. Yeah. So better or Popescu? <laughs> Popescu, I think it's a tough one because, and it's not a tough one. But... I don't like saying this, but it's a tough one because I have my doubts about both of them. Um, however, I think Popescu will give us slightly more when we have the ball back. And I know that Celtic will have more of the ball, but I think he's slightly more comfortable with the ball at his feet. Um, and... It's an interesting one because I want to go back to the Shane Duffy conversation we had earlier that, well, that I mentioned that I'd heard Craig Levine talking about. Shane Duffy excelled when he played at Brighton and it was like a it was like a, a trench warfare game and he was putting his body on the line or whatever, Christoph does that Christoph he does, does but that. Celtic won't be shelling the ball over the top No, and, and, that, and that's the thing So you, you know that Christoph's going to give you everything he's going to leave everything out there what does Popescu give you that Berra doesn't I think he gives you more of a threat from set plays. He's a bit more. Think, he's a bit more agile. I think you'll be able to. I think there's yeah. more agility yeah. as well. But I think if you're looking at, and that's why I think this weekend's team news is going to be very interesting. If it's going to be here's your cup final team disguised as oh we're just trying one or two things, but that's the one he's going to play. But when you look at your opposition, um, you you have to look at their weakness. Their weakness is set plays. The number of goals that Popescu scored against St Mirren, uh, sorry, for St Mirren, 
when he was playing with with them. And to be honest, I know he's not. I don't think he's scored yet for Hearts, but he's certainly come close a couple of times. He's hit the bar. I've watched a couple of times when he's he's. I don't think he scored within, for St. Mirren, did he? I know he. Oh, he was a threat from set play. I know he's a threat. I don't. I'm quickly backtracking there in case he hasn't. But regardless, he he's someone that the, the corner kick taker or if it's played short, the person delivering the ball would aim for. He'd be one of the guys you would aim for. So. Hey, well, here we go. Let's let's put it out there because we're almost at the end. So we've not given much homework. So why don't you give us your cup, your final, cup final team lineup. and why? Mm-hmm. And tell us why. Obviously, a lot a lot of it picks itself. But give us your cup final team. So who would you start in what formation and why? Um, simple as that. Simple as that. And we can go through them next week because then it saves us having to stumble over it next time <laughs> before the game. We can go with everyone else, and we can even just pick. Who gives us the the best one and why? And obviously, you can sure. we can give it to us after the Queen of the South game if you like as well. When you've seen how, well, how we play, well, of course. I'm just again the the, the kind of is Janelli fit question. I mean, look, if he doesn't play from the start this weekend, he ain't going to start the cup final. He might might be a decent enough sub to bring on, uh, but I think time's running out for him to start. So. If we are assuming that Janelli would be on the bench for a cup final, and I know we've got a game against Queen's Queen of the South, um, just what what would you go? Um, what formation and what what team would you pick for the cup final against Celtic? And we'll read some out next week. Yep. Tweet at around the funnel or email podcast at scarves around the funnel dot co dot uk. Um, so yeah, we'll be back next week to mm. review the game against Queen of the South and to have our final preview of the cup final which is of course a week on sunday um it's getting closer maybe it will feel real by next week yeah and i have got no clue what and i like this because i like listening and wait right till the end what, what music's he played this week i got it totally wrong for the charlie man vladimir romanov um episode because charlie mentioned more than once about vlad selling beatles records from the back oh, of his okay. car yeah. And now living in Moscow, I thought it was a certainty to be back in the USSR to play us out. And you went, well, well it, was, it was fine. Was it man, man, something in the middle or something man like that? Man in the middle, yeah. Yeah, that was all right. But I got that wrong because I, I was convinced it was, was going to be... Right. I thought I thought I got, I, I really, uh... I like that one. I got the, the title of the podcast, Man in the Middle, with a, with a obviously with a double N. And... Uh, okay, yeah, okay, that's smart. And then, and the BG, the BG's man in the middle with it. Some of the lyrics, which I double checked, I thought, I thought that went pretty. I think well. there were a myriad of options. I don't think there was a right or a wrong answer. So yeah, you can have that. I just if I if I was to call my local bookie and say I know what the song is going to be at the end of this, I'm pretty convinced it's going to be back in the USSR because that's where Romanov now is, and he used to sell Beatles records. And I would have been wrong you were. for this week. Yeah. Who knows? Jeez. I don't even know. And I'm about to. I'm about to. At the time of listening, this will be it'll probably be starting to creep in in the background, and I don't know what it is yet. <laughs> what am I fading in? I don't know. My future self in about an hour or two knows, but I don't yet. So um, anyway, we we'll go off on another tangent. But until next week, um, thank Goodbye, you for tuning boys and in, girls. and uh, yeah, we'll speak with you next week about um, potentially Hearts um, winning the most bizarre and remarkable cup ever in the history of the world. Goodbye.